0: Hey, podcast listeners, this is Kobe from the Common Thread Podcast. Today, we are going to address a very important issue, which is the upcoming French presidential election. Uh, The the second and final round of voting is going to be on May 7th, and the first round, uh, which is going to be among about five major candidates, is going to be taking place in late April. This is a really important issue because it uh, really is sort of a a good uh, way to take the temperature of Europe and, and the populist fervor that is sweeping across the continent. So, in order to address this, we've got another Common Thread uh, podcast team member, Matthias, who spent many of his formative years growing up in France, and a friend of mine from Pace University, who is studying economics and uh, hails from just outside Paris, uh, Killian Tepp. So, in order to start, uh, we really just want to get a landscape of this election for for the American audience. So. Uh, can the two of you go into who the candidates are, what they represent, what political parties they come from, and uh, then after that we'll sort of swing into what the issues
1: are. As Kobe mentioned in the intro, um, the first round you have a wide wider pool of candidates and the second round basically takes the top two candidates of the first round and they face off in a runoff election, right, and so the polls for the first round indicate that um, Voters who are going to participate in that particular uh, phase of the election, 27 percent of them, give or take, more or less a percentage point or two on that level, um, intend to vote for Marine Le Pen. And I think the important part that that you mentioned was kind of the the history of the party itself, because one thing that, that needs to be understood about current French politics is that there's been a very real sanitization of the Front National. Um, Up until the moment that Marine Le Pen basically became the head Mm -hmm. of the Front National, it was headed by her father, a man by the name of Jean-Marie Le Pen, who is a uh, a veteran of the Algerian War and who has espoused some of the most far-right extremist views that you can... You can think of in a European context, namely Holocaust denialism, overt anti Semitism, overt contempt for any kind of multicultural introduction of uh, immigration populations, of different social practices. Um, he really harkens back to kind of an earlier period of the 20th century in French history in which um, c- Catholic conservatism and even monarchism. Uh, were more mainstream political positions to be to be held. Um, so
0: let's, let's pause right there for a second and kind of zoom in on Marine Le Pen for a second because she's really the main storyline. I mean, when we're talking about taking the temperature of Europe from the point of view of the French election, we're basically asking the question, is Marine Le Pen going to win or make it to the second round or is she not? And so in what ways does Marine Le Pen mirror uh, the image of her father and the national front uh, throughout the history of the 20th century, and in which ways does she depart, uh, maybe become more or less radical than the history of the party? I mean, so basically I mean, that's that's
2: something that, you know, from, if you if you look at the 80s, uh, Marine Le Pen, uh, sorry, Jean-Marie Le Pen, her dad, was basically getting really some momentum. And what actually prevented him from, like, gaining access to power was what Matthias said about Uh, denialism, he said that basically gas chambers were a detail of history uh, and that was never forgiven by the rest of the public. And so Marine Le Pen, I think she was a bit smart about this and she realized that there was this image that was stuck to the party. And so basically she even kicked out her own dad out of the party. Uh, She really tried to to make it more Republican in a sense, like not Republicans in, in the American sense, but as in uh, that follows the values of the, of the french republic and that's how like the party got a lot more sanitized and that's how it got rid about uh got rid of its image of of just a very xenophobic racist party in general but yeah just to put into context for the election uh so the the elections of marine le pen would basically be a referendum in a sense does france want to get off the euros uh, the european union or not so that's why this those elections are pretty important in general because the election of, Marie, of Marine Le Pen would mean France leaving the EU in general. Right. Yeah. But
1: and it, yeah. not only that, just the, the European Common Market, yeah. uh, serious discussion of leaving NATO because another important detail that uh, kind of illustrates the kind of geopolitical position she's coming from is that a lot of her financing, by virtue of the fact that a lot of French banks refused to, to, to lend to her to, to provide credit for her party to finance her electoral campaigns and her activities, actually comes from Russia. Um, Putin lent uh, considerable amounts of money, I think in upwards of a, tens of millions of euros at this stage. To, to the FN to finance their political activities. And on the point of uh, Holocaust denialism, actually, this was a news story that came out, I think, yesterday or the day before. Um, there was, a, uh, there was a, a documentary investigative team that basically took a secret camera and followed around a bunch of uh, fairly high-level officials of the Front National in the region around Nice, which is in the southeast of France. Um, and they actually recorded uh, a, the head of the regional FN party overtly claiming that he didn't think that the Holocaust was as bad as it was, that six million was much too high of a figure, that uh, very clearly the, 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 uh, the gas chambers couldn't have, couldn't have been formatted for Zyklon B. I mean, these absurd, absolutely horrific positions to, to take. And he was evinced today. Um, They immediately forced him out because obviously it it seriously hinders the the electoral prospects of the FN on a national level. Mm -hmm. But the truth of the matter is, and this is what needs to be understood, is that beneath this veneer of political acceptability and – I mean, nobody's going to call it political correctness, but given where the party once was, you can consider it a politically correct, serious nationalist party – um beneath that veneer, there still is a very real residue of xenophobia, anti-Semitism, and white supremacy, Catholic supremacy. Mm-hmm. There's no real way around it. Would the term dog whistle
0: uh, accurately describe some of the rhetoric? Oh, 100
1: percent. Absolutely. And dog whistle politics in and of themselves. I mean, you just have to hear her talk about the idea of closing abor- closing French borders, of seriously lim- limiting uh, immigration, her discussion of... Uh, the necessity, the economic necessity of France to return to the franc versus the euro. I mean, across the board, she's she's uh, she's alluding to these ideas that really only point to one tendency in national politics. So,
0: I want to keep moving on to to the other uh, candidates that she's facing off against in the first round. But before we get mm-hmm. there, I want to say what what is her primary consti- constituency? I mean, what's um, driving her rise right now? I mean, there's a strong sentiment of there's a strong consen-
2: sentiment of anti-EU, and also, I mean, I wouldn't say, no, actually, sorry, that, that was wrong. So I wouldn't say that um, the constituents are opposed to the EU per se, or that necessarily um, agree with all those ideas, but one of the arguments that you hear, especially from the youth, because like a third of all young people, uh, a third of all young people in France are actually going to vote for a mind at the last regional elections that we saw, that was actually the outcome. And actually, I watched one documentary yesterday, and Most of young people, what they were saying is that, oh, we we don't necessarily agree with them, uh, but we've tried everything else from the right to the left. And the only party that is proposing something different, as in like getting off the Euro, uh, leaving the European Union, leaving the common market, is the only solution that's been happening. And there's also a sentiment that uh, because of the refugee crisis, the migrant crisis, uh, people have the feeling that uh, more benefits are given to migrants or uh, refugees than
0: like what they would call
2: actual French people, and so that's why they have an issue with that as well.
0: Right, I think yeah. I think what's interesting about the constituency in France that's getting behind Marine Le Pen is that you said it's a third of young voters. Yes, because that differs uh, from both Brexit and and Trump, where yeah. the supporters of of both of those uh, uh, you know refer the referendum and the election mm-hmm. were. Surely not young voters. In fact, had young voters turned out in larger numbers in the case of Brexit, for sure, uh, it wouldn't have gone through, right? And so what is it about the young generation in France, or at least part of the young generation in France, that drives the attraction? Is it something to do with perhaps... Uh, unemployment, because I know the unemployment in France is ten percent. I think youth unemployment yeah, is, is even is, higher. Yeah, I it's. Yeah. I mean,
1: relative to American numbers, it's pretty astronomical. But I would just say, from a broader macroeconomic perspective, this is the case across the EU. Hmm. Um, the European Union never really saw a true recovery from the two thousand eight financial yeah. crisis, just in terms of economic development yeah. and growth. Um, and you know, one of the things that, that's ironic about this pe- past election season. Is the claim that somehow the American economy was lagging behind, that people were taking advantage of us, this, that, and the other mm-hmm. thing, along the lines of we're not seeing a functional, actually developing and growing economy? When the truth of the matter is, is that relative to Europe, in the United States, we're doing terrific. Um, youth unemployment numbers in Europe, and we're going to be t- we're talking about France here, by virtue of the fact that. Um, Because of the austerity measures imposed by the European Central Bank, because of how rigid a lot of the labor laws are in France, because of the employment market itself, the net result of that is that you see this astoundingly high youth unemployment rate. And I I would go further than just the youth unemployment rate, I would also say that France is a highly educated country where a lot of people go to university, and a lot of people are highly technically qualified in some pretty, I mean, esoteric fields, and they have competence and capacity. But for the kind of jobs and roles that they're qualified for, there is scarce opportunity. And so the result is that you see these young people who are overqualified with master's degrees, research theses, et cetera, et cetera, who are taking jobs that... Don't make sense for them. Basically, the message that French society is sending to a lot of Fr- uh, young French people is: Well, you did this all of this work, you developed yourself, you educated yourself. Well, it was a waste of time, because there are no doors open for you.
2: Yeah, what I would add to that too is that there's also a divide between like big cities and rural areas. So for me, like growing up in Paris, like there are many opportunities for me, like as a young person, like for me to develop and for me to grow intellectually and also to find a job. I mean, it's way easier to find a job in Paris than, like, in the scale, In the skill like, a small village that's going to be, like, three hours from, like, a big city or something like that. And I think that's how Marine Le Pen actually got a lot of her voter bases, in a sense, young people, because, like, in, in those small villages, usually, like, maybe, like, there's going to be a much higher unemployment rate than in the rest of the country, so it's going to be like, maybe 20% of, 20% of unemployment rate versus, you know, 10% uh, across the country. Uh, and, you, and when you look at youth unemployment, in those areas it's going to be around 50% as well. Yeah. So uh, so it's not shocking that uh, in those metropolitan areas and the big cities, young people would barely support Mount Le Pen and that would be totally against it. But in those, I would say, maybe like more traditional rural, rural areas, maybe more let's say, white Catholic, uh, that's when you would see uh, people, like, young people like us, basically voting for a million. Yeah, Yeah.
0: so if, uh, as long as we're talking about the state of the economy and how that's affecting Mm -hmm. the election, then, you know, the next person I think we should categorize in, in the spectrum of candidates running in the first round is, I guess, the successor to the incumbent party. So it's important to note that the incumbent party, the socialists, are extremely unpopular. Uh, François Hollande, I think, has a uh, an approval rating that's in single digits,
1: maybe. Yeah, it's four or five percent, Uh,
2: right? It used used to be. I mean, like when he so, when he decided he would not run again, Mm -hmm. uh, it used to be. uh, I mean, before he decided he would not run again, it was around like four four percent. Uh, but uh, I mean, funny enough is like when he announced he would not run again, yeah. he gained in popularity again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, like, now he's around like 18 20%. Yeah. Basically. <laughs>
1: so. That's pretty funny. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, the law of subtraction is addition in this yeah, case, yeah. that's for sure.
0: Yeah, so, so the, but his successor, uh, as far as the, the Socialist Party is concerned, is further left than he is. And uh, if you guys could discuss maybe uh, what he represents as a departure from, from the current incumbent party.
1: Well, and, I, and I, to, to, to qualify first, uh, before we actually launch into that, also what we need to understand about the current electoral landscape is that a lot of it is the result of the fracturing of the Socialist Party oh. across ideological fault lines just because um, his presidency has proven so unpopular. That, um, say, his, his minister of the economy, his prime minister, all ran, basically presented themselves as candidates before he even made it official that he wouldn't be running yeah. again. Um, so he would have faced some kind of um, internal runoff election to determine whether or not he would be the socialist candidate in the first place. And so that's that's one of the kind of the interesting narratives of this election is, okay, well, so the Socialist Party, as, it's, has, as it was configured five years ago, no longer exists. Where is it going to go from here? Um, and do we want to start with Benoît Hamon? Um, um,
2: yeah, I guess we could start with Benoît Hamon and, because he's the... He's basically the one from the Socialist Party that was uh, chosen to run. Uh, just a bit of context: um, the Socialist Party basically organized the primary elections, like similar to what we find here in the in the U.S. for like Democrats or the Republicans. Uh, he won because he basically like proposed like I would say like a divorce from like the current government policies in a sense. Uh, his program was much more left-leaning. That included, for instance, uh, universal basic income. Then he changed somewhat along the lines, it's not so much like universal anymore, it's mostly for young people. Um, He really put an emphasis on uh, stopping austerity measures and increasing public spending in France, all these kinds of things. So basically being at odds uh, what the current socialist party uh, that's in power right now, which is basically implemented. And Matches was basically talking about some of the current fault lines that were happening. And if you look at, if you look at the ongoing support right now, uh, it's like, it seems like even the socialist party, the socialist party is disav- disavowing him in a sense that because he's somewhat, uh, he refuses to approve the current government. Uh, the socialist party is like, uh, I don't think we can approve your program. It might be too radical. It might be too left-leaning. And so he's been tanking in the polls, actually, like he's only like, I mean, that's crazy for, like, a socialist party, like, to be only uh, having, like, 15% in the first one of the elections in the polls. It's a never seen before. Like, it's never happened. Yeah.
0: Let's let's just clarify that, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but since the start of the Fifth Republic, only socialists or Republicans have uh have Except in 2002. Uh, yeah? Except in...
2: 2002, and... Uh,
1: no, in the 70s as well, with uh, Valéry Giscard d'Estaing. Uh, yeah. but, but it's the normal yeah. status of the... it's what you need to understand yeah. about the French Socialist Party is that basically post-World War II and after yeah. the... I mean, I don't want to get into how the French Communist Party yeah. basically yeah. was I, either imploded or was destroyed. I mean, yeah, that's the, a matter of history, story, right? Yeah, that's yeah, a completely yeah. different story, but yeah. suffice to say that uh, since the end of World War II and the implosion or explosion... Of the French Communist Party, the the Parti Socialiste, the Socialist Party in France, um, has been one of the one of the two mainstay mainstream um, political parties, and has always had a very prominent role in French political decision making globally. Um, and the, I think the 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 other interesting thing to note um, to kind of pivot away from Amon, mm-hmm. so we get to Mélenchon mm-hmm. and we get to and we get to Macron as mm-hmm. well, um, because they really illustrate for me the kind of the fault lines. Yeah. Um, so I think what 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 needs to be understood about the so-called socialist party in power right now yeah. in France is that it's operating within the context of the European Union, which. Um, for a variety of reasons, uh, legal and political, means that the range of potential political action that's taken by a national government from on a political spectrum is reduced um, from uh, the more extreme polarities of the political spectrum. So much more centrist policies, which is what um, François Hollande's mm-hmm. presidency basically espoused, um, very much in line with the European Union's dictates in terms of uh, policy recommendations. Yeah, yeah. And that's part of the reason that there's a lot of frustration in France is that um, a lot of people feel that uh, the French government has been handcuffed almost by virtue of the fact that it is an essential member of the European Union. Now, Jean-Luc Mélenchon has presented himself as the anti-establishment uh, progressive figure. Right, I mean, this uh, this is the kind of guy who advocates leaving NATO Is he, is he running as a, so. an independent
0: or with a party?
2: Right. Uh, I mean, that's basically like an aggregate of of uh, like Green Party, um, Communist Party. I mean, what is left? What is left of it? And like his own party, which is called like the Front de Gauche, uh, which is basically also like an aggregate of all different types of like mm-hmm. left leaning parties. Um, yeah. I mean, those were pretty dissatisfied with. Uh, I would say, like the centrist turn of the Socialist Party, and who are more left-leaning, are the ones who are behind Mélenchon. And that's actually interesting because uh, not not like most people don't really see the point of of having two different candidacies of Amon and Mélenchon Yeah. Uh, because those two candidates are pretty left-leaning. Uh, Benoît Amon won the primary off of the basis that that would be like um, that would be like a, a rupture from that would be ruptured from the uh, current government right now. And so like now you have two very left-wing candidates. I mean, those programs still slightly differ, but they're very similar at the same time. And right now the question is, why don't you, this guy, why don't you guys get together in a sense? Because that would make more sense, and you guys would have actual chances of making it to the second round. But that's not happening, maybe because of ego battles or these kinds
0: of things. Right. Speaking of ego battle, I think uh, we should probably turn to the Republican Party and uh, deal with uh, uh, Francois Fillon and sort of what his candidacy was before the corruption and then sort of define the corruption and uh, where he stands now. I
1: mean, at this stage, his candidacy is pretty much defined (laughs) by the corruption. Um, But before, he, uh, he basically espoused some, again more towards the Front national end of the spectrum in terms yeah. of identity politics, um, opposed to gay marriage, opposed to abortion, yeah. um, basically pandering towards the, I mean, there's no real other way of the very, it. Yeah, they very
2: conservative. Right. I mean, in a sense, you know, uh, it's funny because the, the Republicans in France, and they're also called the Republicans, <laughs> uh, yeah, they're also called the Republicans, and they organize their primary elections, and initially nobody expected François Fillon to win. Uh, he had a very, very conservative program, and and you know, like we we tend to say that the French right is more left leaning than the uh, than the Democrats in, in the U.S., but that's not true anymore because François Fillon, who is basically the representative of the French right, has embraced a much more uh, radically conservative program in a sense. So he would be opposed to gay marriage. He's attached to Christian value, and France is a way more secular country. Uh, than the U.S. is. So in a sense, like, just claiming that France needs to esp- espouse its Christian roots is, like, maybe unprecedented in the history of the Fifth Republic. Yeah. That's very, very, very new in a sense, very, very conservative. And just, like, so as much as say he's been pandering to the people who are opposed to the gay marriage that was passed in 2013. Uh, and that's how he seduced a lot of uh, electors, I would say. But on the economic side, it's also much more conservative, uh, one of the one of the uh, figures that he mentioned was actually uh, Margaret Thatcher. He he said that he wanted to become like a, a sort of new uh, French Reagan or French like Margaret Thatcher. And and France as a country, like whether it's right or left, uh, is a pretty left-wing country in a sense. So it's never seen before, and that's why you could say that it's a very very conservative turn in the sense to François Fillon. And so if you. T- so I'm assuming, Kobe, you want to be talking about the scandals that happened. Oh, For sure. I, think I mean, they're just, they're just too good to <laughs> be yeah, true. Yeah, so yeah. We can't,
1: I mean, some of the stuff that this guy said yeah. is honestly hysterical because okay. it's so caricatural. Um, do you want to you yeah, talk yeah, about sure, the... Yeah, sure, sure. So, the, the I the mean, russians? so, like,
2: uh, so w- after, after François Fillon won the elections, he was actually, like, the favorite to win uh, to win the French elections, actually. I mean, so after he won the primary elections, he was the favorite to win the general french presidential elections and um, then something happened uh there's one uh, newspapers that actually revealed that uh her wife i mean his wife was involved in fake job scandals that he paid her over the course of maybe uh, five years he paid her like around 500k which is a lot for like the kind of job that you would expect uh he also hired his own kids um uh, like give gave them a lot of money, actually two weeks ago, uh, they revealed that like some very wealthy businessman just like bought him two uh, tailor made suits that like that are worth like just thirteen k just two yeah. pieces of like suits you know all these kinds of things so you know uh, his campaign has been a nightmare and you know like what what 's very paradoxical and what 's very funny is that he actually wrote a book on <laughs> on, on, on political exemplary. probably he was say. He used to say, "Oh, you know, like I'm the only clean candidate. Like all my opponents on the on the right side has been, I mean, have been condemned. or Have been indicted. Sarkozy, the former French president, has also been indicted. Uh, Alain Juppé, like one of the former contenders on the primary in the primary election, he was also indicted for a year. Um, and so, you know, he claimed to be like the clean, the the clean, the exemplary candidate. And when everything about you know his scandals, his corruption, like just." matters got revealed that was just ecstatic yeah, and yeah, yeah. and then i mean maybe you want to comment on right, the, well, i mean on i the mean the just <laughs> some of, just some
1: of the statements he made yeah. for example like he said okay well so he was he was officially indicted it's uh in in france the term is mise en examen which basically means heavily scrutinized legally yeah, formal, which means formal investigation right, exactly yeah. so they find probable cause to open a real investigation and potentially bring charges against him which is very 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 bad for him um and he, he actually said, I think probably five or six weeks ago now, that the only way that he would withdraw his candidacy is if he was indicted. And he's been indicted. Has he withdrawn his candidacy? Absolutely not. Um, my favorite quote of his regarding uh, corruption and just generally speaking legal matters associated with politicians is uh, he, he once told an audience he was speaking to a rhetorical question. right He asked them a rhetorical question. Can you imagine charles de gaulle if he had been indicted like to illustrate like there is no way that like a great french president could possibly be associated with a a corruption scandal i mean this guy this the degree of hypocrisy here is yeah is pretty astounding i mean it is so plain
2: just for information charles de gaulle the one he mentioned is the founder of the fifth republic Uh, he's also the one who's who basically organized the french resistance during world war ii and he was also a great thinker. I mean, like, if if the French system is as it is today, it's, like, mostly thanks to him. And so he created, like, a, like I would say, like, a current of thought and, like, a school of thought in a sense that a lot of people, like, claim to belong to his legacy. They called him some goalist. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, like, he was, like, a very exemplary mind. I mean, like, you could disagree or not agree with him, but, like, there's no disagreeing that he was actually a great man who actually founded the, the Free Republic and who shaped France as it is today and so François Fillon claims to be a Gaullist he claims to belong to the legacy of, of Charles de Gaulle and just you know like the fact that he quoted him as you know like the exemplary guy like Imagine if he was put into formal investigation. Yeah.
0: So, uh, real quick, before we move on to Macron, which I know yeah. we're very excited to talk yeah. about, as you're both supporters of him. Uh, well, supporters. I mean, I, I, I'm I'm officially agnostic. Okay. <laughs> 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 uh, but, uh, Fion getting the wind taken out of his sails. How does that affect uh, the pull towards Marine Le Pen? Because you've got two very far left candidates. Uh, the socialist candidate and um, what's the gentleman's name again? Benoît Benoît Hamon, yeah, Mal- yeah, yeah right, right, right. So you've got the two far left. You've got Macron, who we'll get to in a second. But then you've got uh, two candidates on the right, and so presumably that they he might have helped, if not win, he might have helped split Le, Pen, Le Pen's vote. Right. But now that he's going up in flames, how does that affect Le Pen's chances?
1: That's an open question. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as as far as the the, the first round goes. Um, for all intents and purposes, as far as I can tell, the polls haven't really shifted all that much, although it's still early. It was just indicted I, I, either at the beginning of this week or late last mm-hmm. week. Um, so, so public opinion can still shift in either direction, really. So I think it's too soon to tell how it's going to affect uh, her support in the first round. On the other hand, for the second round, that's where things get a lot more worrisome just in terms of the overall outlook of the French yeah. population and its voting and the direction it's going to vote in um, it remains to be seen honestly I, I don't really know how this is gonna, how this could possibly play out in Fionn's favor um, and, even, and beyond that I don't know how it could play out if he withdrew his candidacy because right. that would just yeah. throw such a curveball in yeah. terms of uh, projections and the political situation up until now
2: yeah, I think. Uh, by the way, uh, I think your question is actually a good way to introduce Macron. Okay. Uh, you know, because uh, Macron, before all the scandals with Fillon, he has been trailing as like the first, uh, as the, as the third candidate right. of those elections, well, and basically, as soon as we heard about Fillon's scandals, it actually benefited Macron, because Macron rose to second position, right after the scandal, and and he's been in the second position like, for ever since the scandal, basically.
0: Right. Uh, let's. Who who is he? Uh, he's right oh, now he's running as an independent. Let's yeah. uh, you know define what his past is, what his history is, okay. and, and how he came to this position. So
2: so Macron is a is a very uh, intriguing person. Uh, he was named he was named minister um, of the economy in two thousand fourteen. Uh, but usually, I mean, if you're appointed minister, like that's because you were elected as a deputy or like as a as a former you know mayor. Like you've you've had some like office position. This guy like nobody knew him. Uh, he was like the secretary of state for the economy Um, he he was a former investment banker he was also a former philosopher Uh, and then he was like a former public official and so I I guess like the large French audience got to know him when he was appointed minister of the economy and you know like he's very different from the rest he speaks his mind Uh, he he doesn't really like Talk like a politician anymore, like I mean, I mean, I know like it's gonna make him sound like a bit like he's Donald Trump, but he's not. In the sense that he, uh, I, I guess you know he was the he was the most popular minister in the in the government because you know he was really like different from the rest. Of and I, the I would think.
1: just say on the point of how he talks, um, it's not necessarily different from. Um, it's specific, put it this way, it's specifically different for the Socialist Party. Mm. And the way he talks about the economy and say, for example, the labor market mm. is so far removed from what was considered to be conventional mainstream thought in the yeah. Socialist Party that a lot of leftists in France were absolutely astonished appalled. and horrified. A- appalled. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> appalled by the fact yeah. <laughs> that he was named uh, Minister of the Economy in, uh, in, in 2014 because having an investment banker who, who made his bones, basically, in, in finance, uh, appointed the socialist minister of the economy, yeah. completely anathema to the, history, yeah, yeah. Oh, to, yeah. to, to the history of the Socialist Party in France. Yeah. So and, the other thi- and the other thing about him that's, that's, uh, that's really interesting, on the point of um, hi- him rising in the polls right mm-hmm. now, um, it's a confluence of factors, obviously, namely uh, the Fillon's corruption. Mm-hmm. But the other factor that's really affecting his popularity is the disenchantment with the left in France. And so here you have this this man, Emmanuel Macron, who was in the fold of the Socialist Party but was very different from its mainstream current of thought. Mm-hmm. And so I think that for a lot of people who are in the middle and who really are just sick and tired and have grown so cynical about French politics, they see this guy who basically doesn't – who's an independent, mm-hmm. who doesn't – who doesn't really sound like anybody else on the French political spectrum because a lot of his ideas are his own.
0: So that that's a nice pivot into sort of some more policy questions and what exactly does Macron stand for? Um, that, that is a departure in French politics.
2: Yeah, so I mean, unlike unlike the rest of the candidates, I mean, he's been clearly pro-European. And so I think, you know, like, that's what puts him at, uh, at odds, you know, against Marine Le Pen. He's the one who is cre- clearly pro-European. He's the one who says that he's, I mean, don't get me wrong, he still remains critical of the European Union, but he thinks that more Euro- more European integration is the solution, right. not the problem. Right. Is, is, does that differ from the positions of the two candidates on the left? On the left, it's, um, um, oh, that's a it's uh, you, know, you know, like, they've been, they've been pretty, you know, like, unclear about it mm-hmm. in general. Like, they okay. said, you know, like, they would, especially mm-hmm. Mélenchon, that, that's what I'm thinking about. I mean, he's been talking about you know like renegotiating European treaties with the rest of the countries, and you're like which would never happen. Yeah, right. which would never happen. Basically, right. um, Benoît you know, he's also been like pretty unclear about that. I mean, Thomas Piketty joined his team, and I think he's been suggesting the uh, seen the idea of creating like a like a government for the eurozone, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. wouldn't be bad. But you know, like I don't mm-hmm. think that uh, I don't think that you know like him promoting this idea like is the main is right. one of the main tenants of his campaign basically
0: so so let's get uh, back to the, the, the other the, the, yeah. the other thing about
1: mm-hmm. um macron that i think is really important to mm-hmm. to note is just in terms of his general economic policy regarding specifically the labor market mm-hmm. in france um the late the labor laws in france are have an importance and have a degree of prominence just, I think, in, in the collective stream of French thought that is kind of difficult to imagine here in the United States mm-hmm. um, because, you know, the flexibility and fluidity of labor laws in the United States are kind of taken for granted as, you know, these core essential components of the American economy. Mm-hmm. In France, just because of the history of the labor movement, of unions, of uh, left thought and far-left thought, um, labor markets, uh, labor markets, and labor law are a huge point of contention politically, mm. um, and that's been the case basically since, I mean, it's hundreds of years now. I mean, since yeah. the 19th century, really. Right. Um, and that hasn't really changed. So change the the very idea of changing the labor uh, this is the this is the comparison. Changing the labor the labor laws in France is like discussing changing the tax code in the United States. Right. I and mean, that's the that's the same kind of thinking mm-hmm. just it brings up the same kind of emotions and the same kind of polarization politically. Mm-hmm. And and he he takes a position that's uh, that's reformist, item one. And for somebody who's more left-leaning than right-leaning mm-hmm. in terms of the center, is pretty radical. Um, just in terms of uh, the French mainstream political yeah. thought.
0: Would you say Macron is because he is more left-leaning than right-leaning? But Absolutely. since the you know Fion disaster, he's been pulling. Uh, he's been. You said he's been pulling up in the polls. Is he drawing from across the political spectrum? So I mean, the, the, way, the way he defines like his the new
2: divide, uh, the new political divide, he says that. He said that the the divide between the right and the left is not relevant anymore, and he qualifies. So he, f- he thinks that the new divide lies between uh, progressivism and conservatism. In a sense that, in a sense that uh, you've had progressive ideas from both pe- spectrums, from the right, the center, and the left, and his goal is basically to gather like all the progressists and all the progressive ideas from all the sides of the political spectrum, and he's saying that now you have conservatives. Uh, both from the right and the left, and those are the true main. I mean, those are the true. I would say like opponents. I should say, um, and so I mean, just going back to the question of the political divide. I mean, like that's more about like gathering all the good ideas that were uh, laid out throughout the history of like both the right parties and the left parties,
0: basically. So there's an important subject to get to now that we've sort of laid out all uh, all of the five major mm-hmm. candidates. Uh, which I think has played into France's politics in a big way in the last couple of years, but I don't really read much about it. I read a lot about economic policy mm-hmm. labor policy when I read about the election, but I don't hear as much as I would expect about security. Um, and considering the, That's three, the albatross. three successive uh, major, pretty major terrorist attacks that occurred in France over a period of about a year and a half, mm-hmm. uh, I would really expect to hear a lot more uh, discussion about that. So, where do the candidates fall on, on that issue and and what's what are the sort of things that are being discussed as to how French society deals with this problem?
1: So, so the issue of security in and of itself in France is um it's extremely fraught. It's it's borderline, I mean, I wouldn't go so far as to say that it's taboo, but the kind of questions it touches on are so essential to the very constitution of French society that it gets very tricky to talk about. Yeah. Um, the, the truth of the matter is, is that if you look at the situation in Syria right now, I think the last, num- the last time I looked at the numbers, approximately between – an estimated between 1,500 and 2,000 Frenchmen are fighting for ISIS in Syria. And when I say Frenchmen, I mean people with French nationality, and so thereby, legally speaking, they have the right to come back to France, which represents an obvious threat for obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, Underlying that is this very real cultural tension between uh, basically French people of Islamic extraction um, and and. The reason that I say it that way is that it's very important to understand that these are people who are French and nothing else. They are French. They are born in France. They come from families that have been in France for at least a generation or two. They are nothing else if but French. So they may be of mu- they may be of Muslim faith, but they are first and foremost French legally and culturally and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a very real tension, economic, social, political, yeah. cultural, all of this stuff between... the 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 basically the the Muslim population of France and the more traditional Christian heritage, all of that, and that plays into the security question in a way that's uh, that's that's pretty uh, yeah.
2: So adding adding on to what Mathias said, I mean, just regarding security and Marine Le Pen. So I mean, her rhetoric just basically uses a lot of you know confusion between like what Mathias just said about, um, I mean. The, pe- the people who go to Syria and who are of Muslim faith and immigration and refugees in general. And so, you know, like she, she voluntarily, she voluntarily blurs the line between Muslim, immigrants, refugees, and she basically puts all of them in the same basket. And even though, as like much as Masha said, she's, she's saying that like, we know that all the that people who go to Syria are, are French, they're French citizens. And they might be of Muslim uh, confession, but, but you know, like to her, I mean, it's, it's just basically the same basket of maybe the, like just Muslim people, Syrians, blah, blah blah. And we think that, especially with what happened in Germany, that was when I think one of the attack was committed by maybe like a Syrian refugee, yeah. or a CM, uh,
1: just yeah, a Muslim. There, are, there have been multiple incidents along this. Yeah, yeah.
2: And so you know, like so, just Marine Le Pen just uses this fear, this Muslim fear, I would say, in general to just put all of them in the same basket and just so just like any terrorist attack and all the terrorist attacks were actually committed by French citizens Uh and so she uses those attacks to talk about her immigration policy saying that it's going to make France safer again but um, I mean if you look at the facts like those were French citizens like that's the responsibility of the French state that's not an immigration issue at all
0: but so how do our opponents deal with it how does Macron deal with it
1: I mean, honestly, as, as as far as I can tell, my, my my just sense of the way the issue is being treated in campaigns is that nobody really wants to touch mm-hmm. the essential questions of the uh, of the situation with a ten foot pole, because you're 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 opening up, and I think it's gonna, it's going to come about one way or another, just because there are very necessary basic questions that need to mm-hmm. be answered in French society about who we are as the country and who we are as a people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but nobody really wants to talk about it because it's going to create a whole lot of controversy and turmoil um, a lot of people don't want don't want to say what they really believe uh, there's a serious difference of opinion between generation and between generations and demographics um, but as as far as I can tell the the you know, we've had l'état d'urgence, which is basically the state of emergency, which is a very particular yeah. penal code that's tailored for a, a crisis situation in France, which basically eliminates a lot of civil liberties, facilitates um, the use of state power for surveillance, apprehension, detention, all, all of that stuff. Um, and that's been in place for, it's been year and a half, two years now. Um, and nobody is really talking about what that means for French society moving forward. Mm-hmm. My sense is that Politically speaking, it's easier to treat it as a status quo element than anything else. Like we're just going to leave the the, the emergency state the state of emergency in place, and that will take care of kind of these underlying issues, and will adjust as as is needed, as is necessary, dictated by the circumstances and conditions. But it's unbelievably complex as a political issue right. because it touches so much of French society.
0: I, I find that I mean. It's, remarkable to it's just remarkable to me coming from the americans perspective where in campaigns we d- we spend so much of our time discussing security uh and and it's it's such a thing that that uh politicians really want to are attracted to picking up that subject and dealing with it very strongly for one reason or another you know uh, a lot of um you know left left-leaning people in this country will say well you know accuse the other side of of racism with their policies, the other side will use their sort of authoritarian tendencies to, to drive support to the polls, and and the fact that there's a state of emergency in France and none of the politicians running are going to talk about what the stat, how how long and how indefinite that state of emergency might be is remarkable in and of itself. And then uh, uh, that aside, you know, the the specific penal code aside, just the notion that. French society has been shaken by terrorism and it's not going to be a subject of discussion in the debates is, is
1: pretty remarkable. Well, I think the, the, the important distinction that, that we touched on, that we, were, that, that we were just talking about is there's a real French component to this. So this is, not, this is not some external boogeyman that we can demonize, right. right? And that we can score easy political points off of, which is what it is in the United States, right? right? Well,
2: Marine Le Pen does, you know, like, in a sense. Oh, said, she, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, especially, like, if you look at the Oscars, I mean, I, I think you guys had a podcast on Calais, right? Yeah. Point. yeah. And I think Calais is likely to actually um, make a very far right turn, in a sense, because right. uh, mm-hmm. they've had those migrants and they've had, like, some incidents with them, so it's kind of easy to just... Just like Ben Wagon, you know, on, on the fact that, you know, migrants were a cause of insecurity on these kinds of things. So I think that Marine Le Pen is going to gain traction, you know, talking about, you know, like reducing like migration and just preventing like, you know, Muslim migrants from coming to the country. She's probably going to gain some traction, like, off of this population, I would say.
1: Yeah. yeah. But it, put it this way the, the issue of security is one that's that touches the core of. France's identity as a country and as a society at this stage in a, in a way that's dramatically removed from anything you can compare it to even remotely in the United States. Um, and that in and of itself, I think actually places it in a pretty unique position, even on a European level, um, just in terms of kind of the, 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 cultural dimension of it. Um, and, I think, I think one, put it this way, I think it's actually being addressed somewhat indirectly by politicians. This has actually been really interesting to me that because this is the first time that it's really been a developed idea as like a political principle, is the concept of civic engagement for youth people, right? So um, Amon has proposed it, Mélenchon has proposed it. Uh, I think Fionn even proposed a variation mm-hmm. of it, and, and so did Malin Le Pen. I think every major candidate proposed some variation of some kind of civic engagement program for France's youth, that they get involved in France's society, either at a community level, at an economic level, an environmental level, a cultural level, to basically drive engagement and direct participation in French society. And I think the reason that they've done that is as a recognition of the fact that there is a, there are serious fractures in French society along questions of identity, of culture, of religion, that... They don't really know how to address that. Collectively, we don't know how to address, but that we have—we definitely have to yeah. do something about it. Something has to yeah. be done because continuing in this yeah. kind—in this kind of environment—is just toxic, and it is only going to invite more and more contemptible ideas and discrimination and incidents along those lines. Um, so I think it's act- so I think that kind of proposal for more civ- for greater civic engagement, for greater participation in French society itself, is symptomatic. Of the security question because it touches the core of the country in a way that's uh that's very real and honestly I mean it may it may have been it's definitely the product of you know thirty forty years of you know immigration assimilation mm-hmm. politics blah 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 and all that but it's come to a head in a way that not a lot of people really could have expected or anticipated as far as I'm concerned um, so uh, I, unfortunately, I mean, we, we,
0: we covered, it seems, a lot of ground, but also almost not enough because yeah. we're, we're coming very near the end of the time. But uh, I kind of want to toss the, the last word to, uh, to Killian. Um, just on, I know you're going to the polls, you're really stoked about Macron, and, and give us you know, why you're going to be excited to cast your ballot for Macron uh, on May 7th.
2: I mean, it's basically because uh, he has a universalist, humanist, and above all uh, European project. And I, th- I think that you know, like when you look at the structure of France, I think it's true when you say that France and the EU in general has a European problem. Uh, just from a macroeconomic point of view, uh, it's it's impossible to just share the, like the same currency, and to just have like a different like fiscal policy in general. Okay. And Macron is the only one who's actually proposing a true uh, federal government in the model of the U.S. Because it's it doesn't make any sense that you can have the same currency without a true political union. And he's proposing, for instance, like a European army, and we're talking about security, and he says that uh, security needs to be reinforced, but not at the French borders, but at the European borders in general. And so, uh, like, if you had, I mean, if you're asking me just for one idea in general of why I'm supporting him and why I'm excited about Macron, it's for the European project that he's proposing.
1: And I think to to just add on to that quickly, I mean, one of the things that, personally speaking, and this is not a political opinion, just a general observation of what he's proposed, he, he suggested that, look, you know, given the state of the European Union right now, I think there should be a continent-wide six- to eight-month democratic debate about what sovereignty means in the context of the European Union and what democracy means in the context of the European Union, which, if you think of it, are the two main arguments that anti-Europeans make with regard to the European Union. Oh, uh, well, we're abandoning our sovereignty, and oh, it's not a democratic system. Well, Macron is suggesting, okay, well, we've diagnosed all of these problems. Let's actually talk about them and figure it out. Right. And let's not just do it in one country. Let's do it Europe-wide yeah. Yeah. so that we can actually collectively come up with some kind of vision that we can all get behind so that we can rescue this project that, I mean, unfortunately, let's call a spade a spade, is, uh, is looking com- more and more compromised as the years pass. Right.
0: That, I mean, and, and to me, it seems that that's the type of event... Uh, Big event that Europe might need to re inject momentum into that because moving into the moving into the Europe century, Europe needs a Bretton Woods. Mo- yeah. Moving into the century, I mean, it had an absolutely remarkable, uh, remarkable momentum, right? You know, yeah. it, it uh, unified, under, uh, unified under a currency, it started adding a lot of the eastern countries, and it's just hit such a uh, you know, a, this is really a breaking point, or, or a, at least a, per, perhaps a tipping point for the momentum towards European. Uh, I, mean, I mean,
2: I mean, that's basically what I want to say, and maybe like that would be a good way to conclude the podcast. But I want to say that those French elections are either going to be the destruction of Europe or the rebirth Europe. of Europe, uh, because like the two people who are likely to be elected are completely odds. One wants the destruction of the European
0: Union, and the other wants a more uh, integrated European Union. Yeah. That is the perfect way, and I, I want to return to the subject at some point, but. Um, Listeners, thanks for, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, keep up on the French elections as we uh, get closer, and uh, until the next time, we'll keep looking for the common thread. Thanks.